You know, when we want to learn how to do something the right way, uh, oftentimes we turn to an expert, an expert in the field, and go and ask them to give us a little bit of help. Uh, We typically call people like that the pros. And uh, basically talking about those who have mastery over a particular subject. And so you've got golf pros and you've got tennis pros. Whatever field you could possibly think of, there's probably a pro for it. Someone who can help you out and learn how to do it the right way. Um, So how about when it comes to prayer, the subject of prayer? You know, something... Uh, Prayer is something that I think many of us would say we could use a little bit of help with that. Uh, It can be a challenge to pray, to to know how to pray, to to actually understand what is prayer meant to accomplish. And, And many of us, I think, we understand the importance of prayer. But then when it comes to how do we actually go about doing it, spending time in prayer with God, how do we do that? And, and oftentimes we're just uh, at a loss. And I want to look at that this morning. In Luke chapter 11, uh, we're introduced to this disciple, an unnamed disciple. Um, and he was looking for some help in the area of prayer. And so he goes to Jesus and asked him for help. It says this in Luke 11, chapter, chapter 11, verse 1. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. See, when it comes to this subject of prayer, Jesus is the leading authority on the subject. And uh, it's It's hard to miss out when you read through the Gospels, particularly when you read through the Gospel of Luke, that there's this pattern, this this unmistakable pattern of how many moments in Jesus' life and ministry emerge out of this this times of prayer that he spent. A couple of examples, that, uh, that moment when the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus after his After his baptism, Luke makes the point of telling us that happened while he was praying. And it was after a night of prayer that Jesus went on and chose the 12 disciples, the 12 apostles who would then, you know, kind of change the whole world by taking the gospel message out. And if you remember the time when Jesus asked his disciples that ultimate question, when he asked them, who do you say that I am? And then Peter answered and said, you are the Christ of God. That actually also happened, Luke points out, in the midst of a time when they were praying together. One more example is the transfiguration, that that milestone moment that Luke tells us about when Jesus was revealed for just this tiny moment in his unveiled glory, this greatness in the mountaintop there. And that happened, Luke points out again, that it happened in the midst of, of a time of prayer. And so this disciple, he must have seen that, he must have noticed it, and he says, man, this guy, he knows how to pray. When when Jesus prays, things seem to happen. There's some kind of correlation there. So he says, show us. Show us how to pray like that. That's what we want. And, And so Jesus responds, and what he responds with has come to be known um, to us today as 
what we call the Lord's Prayer. You, you may be familiar with it. You've probably recited it. It's, it's in this context that that's presented. It's a kind of a, a primer, a 101 primer on prayer from the world's leading authority on the subject. And all of the gospel writers, um, I believe all the gospel writers, I should clarify, I'm not quite sure about that, but I think all of them um, articulate the Lord's Prayer. And, and here, here's how... Here's how Luke, here's how it sounds in in Luke's gospel. It says this, um, it says, he said to them, when you pray, say this, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we ourselves forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. And, uh, you know, the different gospel writers, there's a few different nuances that, uh, that they chose to highlight in that. But, but when we look at it as a whole, we understand that this prayer, um, it's a model, not just a mantra. And so it's more than just a prayer to recite, you know, word for word and line by line, although there's nothing wrong with doing that. But in addition, it serves as a kind of model um, that lays out some of the basic elements of, of what can be covered in a time of prayer. And so let's walk through that uh, together, L- walk through this primer on prayer from Jesus. And uh, what we see here, first of all, is that there's an order to this Lord's Prayer. And the first priority it starts out is, is with praise. And that's what that word hallowed be your name is all about. That, that word hallow literally means to sanctify or to set apart, and it's a way of just acknowledging the holiness of our Heavenly Father. And, and there's this tension here between like the comfort and the care and the relational intimacy of calling on God as Father. We don't want to miss out on that, that there's this concrete mental image that, that Jesus wants us to have implanted in our heads as we pray. Prayer is us as God's children calling on our loving Heavenly Father. And so make that your mental reference point. In other words, it's not just about talking to something. Prayer is not about just speaking something to the universe. It's not talking to some kind of abstract life force. It's, it's a conversation with someone in particular, with our Heavenly Father, who's, who's, who's God. And so that intimacy gets balanced with how holy, how awesome, and how altogether other this Heavenly Father of ours actually is. So we hallow His name. Prayer is an opportunity to, to reorient our lives around the reality that there is no one like our God. And so what a great opportunity to wade into prayer by giving him praise and honor and glory, what he's worthy of. And it's a great thing to start out a time in prayer by, by dwelling on how amazing, how marvelous, and how mighty, how glorious our God is. Uh, you can do that by, you know, maybe just turning on a, 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 a playlist, a worship playlist, and, and just spend some time singing and praise and let that flow into prayer. And let prayer reorient your reality around this reality that our God 
is an awesome God. So that's kind of how this starts, and, and that is followed by the first prayer request of this prayer, which is this, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And again, there's an order to this, and the order is intentional. And so prayer, God's way, Jesus' way, it, it doesn't start out with who we are and what we want. It, it starts out with who God is and what he wants. And you know, sometimes we can, we can start, start thinking that prayer is some kind of formula that you've got to figure out, right? And if you just recite the right phrase in the right way to the right saint or whoever it may be enough times, then you can kind of like twist God's arm, right? You can, you can get him to do what you want and you can hit the cosmic jackpot and he'll give it to you. And what I want to urge you is please don't, don't pray that way. That is not what prayer is about. That is not your God. Instead of making prayer about us getting God to do what we want, think about this. Prayer is the place where we reorient our lives around what he wants, his will. It's where we connect to his kingdom. It's where he pours the passion for what he's doing into our hearts. And that kind of changes everything. But here's the thing. We won't pray to see his kingdom come, his will be done, until we've given up building our own kingdoms and we've stopped making it about us getting what we want. So prayer, it can be a place where we surrender, where we lay down our agendas and where we realign our lives around what God is doing. And that's the beautiful thing, that our Heavenly Father is doing something, and what He's doing is so much bigger and so much greater than anything any of us could ever do on ourselves. And the amazing reality is that He invites us to participate in that and to be a part of it. And so, and so here's one way to kind of cultivate uh, a vital prayer life. It's, it's to ask Lord, what is it you're doing? What are you doing in my job? What are you doing in my family? What are you doing in the opportunities you're putting before me? What are you doing in the challenges that I'm facing? And then, Father, what do you want me to do in response to that? What part do you want me to play? You know, we understand what God's will is. His will is, is for people to know him, to receive forgiveness, to be reconciled, to be restored, to grow in lives of holiness, to care for the forgotten, to love those who don't love us. And that's his will. And, and there's a part that he calls each of us to play in what it is that he's doing and what he's about. Now, at this point, this prayer, it shifts from God's will um, to our needs, and, and it addresses three primary needs to rely on God for in prayer. Uh, the first is what he tells us is to pray for is, is daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. So the idea is to rely on God as provider for our daily needs. You know, in Jesus' day, if you went out to fish or to hunt and you came home empty-handed, that meant your family didn't eat that night. They went to bed hungry. 
And if it didn't rain and a drought hit, the crops would dry up and there'd be a famine and people would end up starving. That was reality in his day. It's hard for us to kind of relate to that in our day and age. You know, food, it's kind of an assumed thing. Uh, Our struggle is not, will we eat, right? We wrestle over what are we going to eat tonight or where are we going to eat tonight? And so maybe the question that we wrestle with is, do we really need to bow our heads and pray for daily bread? Is Is that outdated? Because there's a good chance we're going to eat either way. And this is the danger in abundance, that it has a way and it can blind us to how dependent we actually all are. And we can lose sight of the reality that God is the giver of all good things. And, you know, it happens like our, 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 our nice little worlds kind of get broken open uh, at times, um, something comes along and things get shaken up. You know, an earthquake hits maybe, or we haven't had one yet, but just wait till the next winter storm happens and see how busy ShopRite gets, that parking lot. Or a pandemic strikes, right? And, and the, the franticness sets in real quick, real quick, right here in Carmel, right? The grocery store, store shelves are emptied. You can't get toilet paper anymore. And we're just reminded again that this whole system we have set up, we think it's just the way it is, but it's, it's real fragile. And, and this idea of relying on God, it goes way beyond just food. Two weeks ago, um, today, this evening, is Watched like the nation watched as, as DeMar Hamlin suffered this cardiac arrest uh, on an NFL football field. We were watching the game, and uh, I was just astounded at uh, the commentary. Uh, they just had no words. They ran out of words. They didn't know how to explain what was happening. And grown men, uh, strong men, were crying And they were praying over the reality of what was taking place in front of their eyes. And they were powerless to do anything about it. And and I love that, you know, it's kind of a highlight of compassion and humanity. But it's more than that. It's, It's a reminder of how out of our control so much really is. And this is reflected in this simple prayer request. Give us this day, our daily bread. It's this humble acknowledgement that at the most basic level of our lives, we are reliant. We're dependent on our Heavenly Father to provide for our needs, whether they be physical or emotional or spiritual or relational. That's one basic need. The second basic need is for pardon. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Out of all the things that Jesus could have mentioned, you know, this isn't a comprehensive uh, instruction on prayer, but it is a primer, and forgiveness is there. It makes the short lists. And the reality is forgiveness is not an optional accessory to life. It's essential equipment. There is simply no way to live at peace, to maintain healthy relationships apart from extending and receiving forgiveness on an ongoing basis. 
And forgiveness, this prayer shows, it starts vertically. It starts with receiving God's forgiveness. And then it plays out horizontally in our relationships with each other. So God has forgiven us. And, of course, that's why Jesus came. It's what the cross is all about. And his forgiveness, as it makes its way into our hearts, it makes our, its way through us, and it empowers us to do something we can't do on our own, which is to extend forgiveness, the same kind of forgiveness that we've been shown. And so I would just say, please note this. Uh, if you're looking for some breakthrough in your life, if you know you need some breakthrough in your life, just realize that is not going to happen while there's walls of bitterness, while there's walls of unforgiveness set up in your heart. Those walls have to come down. And they come down when we go back to the cross. When we go back to everything that has done, been done for us by our Savior. How much it cost Jesus to extend forgiveness to us and how willingly he did it. And once that forgiveness starts flowing into our hearts, we just, we just let it pour out. We just, we just love others and forgive them with his forgiveness that he's shown to us. The final thing that he calls us to pray for is, is protection. Lead us not into temptation. And the idea is that there's this, again, recognition that we're just not strong enough or not smart enough to keep our own lives from ending up in a ditch, from driving our lives down a dead-end road. And this world that we live in, it's filled with all kinds of temptations, all kinds of things that look so good when we first look at them on the outside, but it's only after we bite down on the bait that we find out there's a hook that's set into our mouth. And what we thought was going to be so good and life-giving ends up being life-taking. Lead us not into temptation. Prayer, by definition, is a humble act. It's a humbling act. It's a pride-killing activity that recognizes that we are, we are not able to do it on our own. The sober awareness that, that on our own, none of us are exempt from stepping on these landmines, blowing everything that matters to us completely up. So Lord, lead us. Lead us not into temptation. And that basically means that it's saying, Lord, you lead and I'm going to follow on the path that you've set out. Lord, lead us means that I'm taking myself out of the driver's seat I want you to sit there. You take the wheel. So there's the pattern. There's this pattern that the Lord's Prayer, it actually provides for us for how we can structure our times of prayer uh, around these different parts of this prayer. Uh, But Jesus' primer on prayer doesn't end with the end of the Lord's Prayer, what we call the Lord's Prayer. What he wants to tell us, it's not quite done yet. There's a final piece of information that he wants us to grasp as we bring our requests before him. And it's the importance, believe it or not, of being a pest in prayer. Here's how he gets this point across. By telling a story, he says this. He said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, 
Lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given. You seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead give Instead of a fish, give him a serpent. Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? All right, now, at first, I got to admit, this story seems a little bit disjointed, kind of out of place. Like Jesus is just, he's telling us about prayer and then suddenly he shifts gears and now he's telling the story about some cranky guy who doesn't want to share bread in the middle of the night. But what's going on here is this is a continuation of what he's been talking about, of his instructions on prayer. And so then this story, this, this so-called friend uh, drops by a friend's house for an unexpected midnight visit, a visit in the middle of the night after everyone's in bed and asleep. Now, first of all, I got to say, you got to love friends like that, right? (laughs) Showing up at that time of night. But the problem is when he shows up, the owner of the house, he has nothing to serve him. He is completely out of anything to eat. And that in Jesus' day, it would have been a crisis because hospitality was was of the utmost importance in those days. And so, so this guy is desperate to figure out, how am I going to feed this unexpected guest? And so he runs out, he runs to his neighbor's house, he knocks on the doors, and he says, hey, neighbor, I know it's late, and I'm sorry to bother you, but by any chance, can I borrow a few loaves of bread? And from the inside of the door, he hears a voice that says, get out of here. Go away, don't bother me. It's way too late, everyone's sleeping, good luck, and good night. And then Jesus makes the point that even though appealing to the neighborly goodwill of his friend, it didn't get the guy what he wanted, but that it was his impudence. And, and if you look at the footnote in your Bible, his impudence is the same word as persistence. That's what got the job done. And that's the same root that the word pest comes from. So what's getting at is that this guy made a pest of himself. He just wouldn't stop. He kept banging on the door, knocking and asking, and eventually he just wore his friend out. He realizes the only way I'm getting any sleep tonight is if I get up out of bed and give this guy the bread that he's asking for. And that's what he does. Now, that story may leave you scratching your head because you're thinking like, all right, Jesus, I'm sure you have a point, but I'm not quite sure I get it. Are you telling me that God is like that guy in bed? He doesn't want to be bothered? Is that what God is like? No, don't don't miss the point. Jesus here, he's not comparing, he's contrasting. He's contrasting this cranky neighbor 
to our loving Heavenly Father, and that they're the complete opposites. And so in verse 13, Jesus uses this word, this phrase. He says, how much more? And that's the phrase that unlocks the whole story. How much more will your heavenly Father, who loves you and cares for you, how much more will he do for you? If even this stingy friend who doesn't want to be bothered is eventually going to get up and give you what you want if you make a pest of yourself, then how much more will your heavenly Father, who wants nothing more than to love you, who is nothing like that guy, how much is he going to do? Because he does care. He is listening. And he does answer the prayers of his children. And since he is your heavenly father, and your concerns are never a bother to him, and here's the instruction, go ahead and be a pest. Three actions, ask, seek, and knock. He says, let those actions pervade your prayer life. Ask, seek, and knock. And the idea is that Jesus is saying, keep on praying. Don't stop. Don't give up. And there's this increasing intensity which each line, first he says, ask, right? And that's kind of like a a very simple request. But after that, it's, he says, seek. And that's a little bit stronger, you know, I'm, I'm looking for something. I'm committed to discovering what it is that you have for me. And then finally, he says, knock. And that's, that's the actual action. Pounding on a door. Knock and knock and keep knocking because the Father eventually is going to answer it. You know, in, in human relationships, this is, this is sort of a foreign concept. We, we can't relate to this. We we get exasperated, don't we, when someone keeps on bugging us about something. I heard you already. I get it. You don't have to keep on repeating yourself. Enough already. But God's not like that. Your boldness is never a bother to him. And Jesus says, this is something that we need to get to be able to pray effectively. Everyone, he says, who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks will find. And everyone who knocks, the door will be opened up to him. And what that means is that there is no such thing as unanswered prayer. Now, that doesn't mean that God is going to give you what you want in the time frame that you want, but he will always respond to those who seek him because he's a good father. He's a loving father. And so sometimes, here's something to kind of help you kind of understand um, our requests. Sometimes when we just ask for a request, that's just wrong, all right? Of course, we never do that. Um, But if we ask for something that's just, you know, this is just selfish, it's just sinful, it's just wrong, then he's going to answer no, because he loves us and he wants what's best for us. Um, sometimes the request is right, um, but you're wrong, right? There's an attitude that's wrong. And so in that case, the answer is not no, the answer is grow. And then there's other times when the request is right, but the timing is off. And in that case, the answer is slow. 
Not now, not yet. But there's times when the request is right, when the timing is right, and when that's the case, then the answer is go. And the reality is, is God answers prayer. He answers every prayer. And the greatest answer we see here that he gives, it's not just stuff, it's, it's himself. This final line is pretty surprising because he says, how much more will your father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? God has a way of giving us what we really need. And sometimes what we really need is different from when we start out asking in prayer. And so oftentimes through prayer, we end up, we we start asking for one thing, but as we press in and we keep on asking, our prayers change. You know, we find out that that what we really need is, I just need more of God. Um, You know, there's times when, when God does and will get us out of that difficult situation that we're in, right? That's typically the way we pray. Lord, this is hard. Take me out. Sometimes he does that. But you also probably know that there's other times where instead of taking us out, he meets us in and he gives us patience to endure difficult times. He gives us strength to get through it instead of getting us out. He puts us in these situations where we start bearing the fruit of his Holy Spirit in our lives that we need to be able to get through whatever it is that we're facing. And it's an incredible, it's an awesome thing to see that take shape and and our lives start changing and transforming more to the likeness of Jesus, our Savior. But the net take-home of this is when it comes to prayer, be a pest. Permission granted, because you are never a bother to your heavenly Father. So keep on asking, keep on chasing after the heart of God, and pound away at the door of heaven, because when the time is right, that door is going to break open. And until that day comes, know for certain that your Father in heaven loves you. He is listening And there is no doubt that he will, at the right time, give his children exactly what they need. Let's pray together. Lord.